Well, hi folks, your hosts, Ben and Britt here from the Paddle Movement Podcast. Today, we're welcoming our first guest onto the show. We're joined by Tia Norton, the number one name in British paddle. Age just 20, Tia is a true prodigy of the sport. And in her young career, she's clocked up a number of firsts. As the first British number one, and certainly Britain's youngest ever number one, she's the first Brit to be seriously knocking on the door of the world's top 100. And she reached a career high of world number 115 just earlier this year. She hails from Leamington Spa in the heart of the UK, and this former tennis junior turned emerging paddle superstar has already been hailed as one of Sheer Lux's up-and-coming young women in sport to know about. And in this recording, she tells us about how she, on joining America's newest professional sports league, the PPL, has already broken America. Not bad for someone just entering their 20s. She also tells us how she used to enjoy a weekly commute from England to Spain, and how you won't find any cheating going on in the sport paddle. All this and more to come, so enjoy the show. Tia, thanks so much for joining us on this uh, first official uh, Paddle Movement podcast. How are you doing and where do we find you at the moment? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, absolute pleasure to be here and to be your, your first guest on this exciting new podcast that you guys are venturing into. Um, I'm currently at home, actually, um, I've just finished my fourth week of rehab, so looking to get back out to training, uh, paddle and competing very, very soon. Amazing. So you're in Leamington Spa. Um, I'm pretty excited about this one. Obviously, we've worked together um, the past year or so, and uh, we've got a good dynamic here today. We have a PR guy. Um, we have uh, the Britain's number one, and we have what we certainly believe to be America's best uh, performing star as well uh, on the FIP circuit in Brit Dubin. So um, a really good show we've got for you. Um, Tia, let's get started. Uh, your paddle journey, you've had an interesting one. You played tennis when you were younger. Your paddle journey, um, you know, began really when you hung up a tennis racket and decided that this was something you wanted to pursue and this was the sport, the racket sport for you. Tell us about how you first got into paddle. Yeah, so I started playing tennis when I was seven years old um, and I came across paddle actually in Birmingham, which is about 30, 35 minutes away from me. It was one of my old tennis coaches who invited me to the club down there. Um, so I tried it out for the first time and... A few weeks later, they were holding GB trials for the junior team to go to the Mexico World Championships. Um, so I actually got selected for the under-14s. So little 12-year-old me ventured off to Mexico, having played this sport for not very long. Um, so didn't really know what to expect. Um, and obviously, I was very, very young going into it. But I managed to reach the quarterfinals in Mexico. And then I came home and I was continuing tennis and paddle together. But my parents were like, right let's decide on one let's choose on one let's let's focus on that um and yeah I decided to play paddle full time was there an aspect of here's a sport that's not hugely known yet I might get to the top a bit quicker I might be able to pursue it without with perhaps less competition let's be honest than in a tennis which is a massively established sport I mean I think maybe it crossed my mind slightly but I mean I was 12 years old at the end of the day I just wanted to play a sport that I enjoyed um in, in tennis I was finding there was a lot of animosity a lot of cheating parents were getting involved and I I was like I just want to enjoy and have fun and, and paddle gave me that side and back then there can't have been many paddle courts in the UK I mean the fact you had a, a facility close by is pretty amazing and look there's still not many but that is changing now you know we're what up to maybe 350 almost 400 courts in the UK so there is a shift um what sort of back then what sort of distances were you having to travel apart from obviously having that local facility but to go in play competitions and to play other players of a good standard I mean were you having to drive all over the country or down to London what was the situation 
Yeah, so my dad, I think, officially became a taxi driver at that time. Um, obviously, I was I was traveling to Birmingham, which was really convenient for me. But in order for me to progress, I was having to travel to Spain on weekends in between school time. So I would travel to Spain on Friday after school and then get a Monday morning flight and then head straight to school from the airport. Um, so, yeah, my parents definitely got to see another side of the world as well. Um, and then, yeah, traveling up to London as well after school. Um, I would only manage to actually play once a week or so when I was actually in school um, until I finished school and then things got a little bit different. And then what inspired you to sort of take it professionally? When when was that moment where you thought this is now this is now going to be my career? So summer of 2021, after I finished um, my GCSEs, I competed in the European Championships in Marbella. And after those championships, I was planning on returning home. I was had plans to go to university in the September. Um, but then I got invited out to Sweden by one of the, the girls that I competed against in the European Championships. And she invited me to play a tournament in Sweden. So I competed and ended up staying in Sweden for a little bit longer. And we were like, okay, should we try like applying for a wild card for the World Padre Tour? Let's see how it goes. Um, I was 17 at the time. I think she was also 17 or maybe 18. Um, so yeah, we got the wild card for the for the Malaga World Padre Tour and ended up winning two matches on it, which <laughs> um, was quite surreal to be honest. Um, and then I remember going back to my hotel room after that, and I was like, this is it. This is the feeling that I want to experience more and more and more. And yeah, that was the changing point. Decided not to go to university and I still haven't gone to university. So I think it was the right decision. Yeah. So you were 17 when that happened. And now two years later, you're 19. And I want to ask you, well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so excited to have you. Um, oh, so nice pleasure. to see you after so long. And what sort of advice would you give someone who's starting to play paddle or maybe is more advanced in the game and maybe wants to pursue it professionally? What sort of advice would you give that person? I think um, starting out in paddle, um, obviously it can be difficult for people in terms of um, facilities and finding people to play with, but um, there's apps like MatchEye where you can you can look on, you can look for your local club, you can find people to play with. And I think paddle has that sense of it being a really social sport and everyone I speak to agrees with me on that. Um, and if you go down to a club, you will more than likely be able to find people that you, you can play with. Um, and yeah, just getting in game time. And the biggest thing I would say in playing paddle is that people always try to avoid the walls when they first start. But the sooner you start trying to use them, the, the easier it becomes, really, because muscle memory soon kicks in and then you get used to not using them um, and then it's harder to start using them. Um, and then in terms of someone who wants to start taking it up professionally, um, the best place to be doing that, I would say, is in Europe, in Spain, I think, like you know, because I think you've based yourself there now as well, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, looking into into FIPS a little bit more, looking into research on the professional circuits, because there is a lot of opportunities arising. It's a bit of a, a kerfuffle at the moment in terms of the tours, but um, hopefully next year things are going to settle down a little bit more and everything's going to become a little bit clearer. For sure. I totally agree with you about um, tennis being like this sort of 
sometimes cheating environment and like paddle is like the most friendly sort of, oh, let's have a drink after the, the match. And that's what I love about it. So, <laughs> um, I, not the paddle, the drinking. <laughs> only if you win. No, even if you don't win. Um, I'm, I'm sure listeners want to know sort of like what's a day in the life of a professional paddle player? If you can sort of just take us through Tia Norton. I mean, my day in the life at the moment is a, has been a little bit altered considering I've been um, been in rehab for the, for the past four weeks. But um, in tournament season, when I'm, I'm fully fit, I'm normally training paddle in the morning um, and then basically preparing for tournaments. There's a lot of tournaments happening throughout the year. Um, so close to the tournament time, you taper down on training slightly. You want to be you're fully able to, to compete at your best. Um, tournaments are normally lasting from Friday to Sunday. So Monday to Thursday, it's training on court, training in the gym. Um, gym training has become a lot more, let's say, important to me over the last couple of years as I have got a little bit older. I'm not saying I'm old yet, but <laughs> um, my not old. no, <laughs> my body's definitely <laughs> definitely feeling it. Well, more compared to when I was younger. Um, so yeah, been focusing a lot more on the. The, the gym training side of it um so yeah and then having downtime which has been really important as well just switching off um speaking with friends with family um and then obviously if I'm traveling around being able to, to sightsee is pretty cool as well sure that's definitely a perk of traveling to the different tournaments um and sort of like what are specific sort of things that you do in the gym or on the court or there, if there's any like specific drills that you think can sort of make the difference for someone who's learning how to use the walls or getting a better bandeja if there's any drill that's like your favorite in order to improve those aspects of the game yeah I think improving specific shots as much as I hate to say it is like continuous basket feeding doing the same <laughs> shot over and over again um the repetition the repetition, it does become slightly boring after a while, but then I think I've managed to find a way in a sense to not make it boring. Like each shot I'm thinking, okay, how can I improve that from the last shot I just did? Or maybe I'm doing a few baskets a week, the same shot. And I'm thinking each time, right. Okay. I want to focus on this, this time, maybe on my movement or the ball placement. Um, you can really focus on different things around each shot, which I think is the the beauty in a lot of sports um, in terms of technically and, and tactically as well. You can work on that. Um, and then, yeah, when I'm training one-on-one -on -one with someone, it's a lot of cross-court work because um, in paddle, you tend to focus on that a little bit more. So it's quite a realistic situation. Or if you're in fours, then, then starting out with certain shots, maybe feeding a shot and then hitting a lob and then pushing or closing on the net a little bit more if it's a good lob. Um, so yeah, there is hundreds and hundreds of drills that can be done. Yeah. I definitely like when I practice um, for there to be like a competitive um, component. So an 11 point game, like let's make it interesting. <laughs> um, loser buys lunch sort of thing. Loser buys the drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. And in terms of, I mean, we touched base a little bit on the physical aspect and how you prepare, but what about the mental aspect of paddle? How do you prepare for that? Yeah. So I speak with my psychologist quite regularly. Um, and the thing I, I really like about paddle is that you're not on your own. 
you've got someone that you can be sport speaking to during the match, after the match. Um, and I think the partnership is such a huge thing in terms of how you're feeling on court. Um, knowing how your partner's feeling is almost settling for you and yourself as well. Um, cause they can, if they know you well enough, they know how to help you in certain situations as well. Um, and yeah, the mental side is definitely something that I've worked on a lot. Um, obviously coming into the sport quite young, I was lacking a lot of confidence and, and self-belief, but over the years I've definitely developed that having spoken to people and, and yeah, growing in myself more or less. Just, just on that tier. So two things, actually, one, the, the mental side of the game, like obviously we hear a lot more about it in society today, well-being and mental health being important and, and social interaction and you know, good diet, all the things which contribute to making sure you're happy and balanced. What, um, yeah, what are the type of things that you need to in your life today kind of implement to make sure you're, you're happy, you're feeling good, you're good on the court and you're, you know, your best self off the court. What are, what, what are the ingredients, I guess? Sleep is the number one thing. (laughs) (laughs) That never changes. If I don't hit my sleep, I am not a happy chappy. Um, (laughs) But no, surrounding myself with good people has become really important. Um, Obviously, I've met a lot of people over the years, but um, it's those ones that have a real impact on you that you you want to stick around and you can really feel in like your support system. Um, And my family's been one of those groups of people over the years who have supported me endlessly. Um, And yeah, knowing that you've got someone that you can fall back on and talk to about anything, um... So yeah, and then good nutrition. I do like my food. I get a little bit hangry if I haven't got the right food. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you talked about the team earlier, like having a support team. So we know in tennis, we see it, don't we, at the Grand Slams, like the Wimbledon boxes. We see, you know, especially for the finals, the big players have an endless team compared to what it used to be. Um, and we might be familiar with a few of them, but some of them are kind of physios or second physios or, you know, so there's a whole kind of entourage. What's the, what's your support team like, I suppose, what does that consist of? And then if you look at the kind of the the top players in the world, um, does that differ? Does it, you know, as you get to the kind of maybe top five or 10 in the world, do you see they've got whole support teams, which is a different level to you? What's, um, what's the lay of the land, I guess? I mean, support team, I think in most people consists of family or family friends or anything revolving around that um people that you've grown up with um who know you really really well and then of course coaches physios psychologists um I think it does differ compared to the the top five top 10 players they've got coaches traveling around with them um and I think it's the same in tennis um the higher you get the the more people that you bring along with you um but yeah then of course your partner they're going to be in your support system. They have to be. Um, you have to have that bond on court. Otherwise, things don't go well, which I have experienced. Yeah, it's essential, I guess. Um, yeah. So far in your career, and it's saying that it sounds like you're far into it, but like you're, you're young, but you're knocking on the on the door of the, the world's top 100. Um, what would you say is the main, main obstacle you've had to, to overcome already? Uh, Brexit. Brexit. Okay, we're going to get political here. All right, um, go on. I'm not Expl- going to get explain. political because politics explain is not more. my thing. No. Um, yeah, obviously in the UK, well, over the last couple of years, it's it's grown a lot. But originally, when I was starting out, 
or when I competed on my first uh, professional tournament, um, Brexit came into play. So you had um, 90 days out of every 180 days that you could spend in Europe. Um, and obviously paddle is huge in Europe and it is the place to be if you want to be growing, if you want to be training. Um, so I was restricted in this sense. Um, but when I actually was in Sweden, I managed to secure a Swedish visa. Um, so then I... We won't go to the ins and outs. Fine, fine. Because <laughs> um, it probably was quite quite wrong. <laughs> Moving <laughs> on. Knows the right people. It's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I managed to secure the Swedish visa and it actually led me to be able to live in Barcelona last year for five months. Um, but then after that, when I was traveling to tournaments, once my visa had expired, I had to track how many days I could actually travel to these tournaments and how many days I could actually spend at home. Um, and obviously I wanted to travel these tournaments. I wanted to travel to training. Um, but the whole time I was so conscious of this restriction I had, because if you go over your day or your day limit, I believe it's a fine or you basically just get sent home. Um, so yeah, that's been a big obstacle. And then obviously the sport not being um, huge in the UK when I did start, um, so there wasn't that system when I originally did start, which again required me traveling over to Spain. Um, so yeah, I would say the biggest restriction or biggest challenge has been the travel wise. And is that without kind of getting into the weeds on it, is that, is that something that's changing that kind of allocation of days you have, or is that, is that kind of indefinite as far as you know, that's the, that's the system and that's how it's oh, it's, it is changing. Cause I've got Irish grandparents, so I now have an Irish passport. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> useful um moving on uh, and away from brexit as always we've, we've done enough of that in the uk the last 10 years and uh, what's what's been your proudest moment of your career you know your most special moment is there anything that jumps out um that uh, that's that's been particularly special but i mean the thing that jumps out the most was ppl this year yeah winning that was um quite something yeah yeah <laughs> reigning champion yeah Hopefully, Our reigning hopefully as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to come on to the PPL. This feels like a good moment to do so. And I'm sure, Britt, you'll have a lot to speak about. But, you know, you both competed in it. From afar, it seemed, you know, it's a great, great competition. I think it's going to go places. It's, you know, it fits in well to the, you know, American sporting sort of culture, I suppose, being a pro league. Um, yeah, what are your, just just the start of a term, what are your your recollections of it? Brit and um sorry of Tia well Tia and Brit what are your recollections of it and um yeah Tia to win it how special was that I'll let you start Brit <laughs> well I, I loved every minute of it it was so cool um that five-week period of having so many great players there it was sort of like new to everybody um really great competition and I have the best memories um really was thankful for our ownership group. They were awesome with Ronnie, Davis, Richard. Um, really nice to meet new people like Tia, um, playing alongside a former number one in the world. Martha Marrero was one of the highlights of, of my paddle career so far. So I just have the best memories and I can't wait for 2024. Yeah, I can say exactly that. I can say exactly the same as that. Um, obviously going into it, it was the first of its kind, the first professional league that had been done. Um, and a lot of us say in the UK that if something's going to reach America, then they're going to do it right. Um, and they sure did. Um, 
Yeah. Bro- broke America already. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Um, was America. It... Tick. Tick. There you go. What next? <laughs> did it? Did it feel like a bit of a gamble? I mean, you probably had to take time out of what would have been your schedule on other tours. So, like, you know, gamble that paid off, surely. But what was the? You know, how much of a judgment call was it at the time to decide to do it? Yeah, one hundred percent. It was a huge gamble. Um, there was. But literally knew nothing about it. I knew I was going to be traveling to America, staying in America for this five-week period, competing with people that I didn't actually know. Um, and yeah, hoping it all went swimmingly well. Um, and the universe landed landed me somewhere and it went better than expected, I guess. Um, is it, my, my, my last point on the PPL, is it something that... Um... You know, as the game grows over there, which I'm sure is going to massively, I'm sure you both agree on that. Is is it something where you see yourself basing yourself in America? You know, do you want do you have ambitions to like, you know, there's a huge sports market there and this this sport which is taking off in other countries has all the ingredients to to be a success. Do you want to do you see it as like a almost like a pride now that you've met, managed to do well at the PPL and actually could help further the game out there as a as your own brand? Who wants to take it? That's all you, baby. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one was for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I definitely see the the US as a huge market. And I think it was a, a stepping stone what happened last year with the PPL. And obviously seeing the the prospects of who's going to be playing in next year's PPL already, you can tell that the, the sport is going to be taking off even more over there. Um, and then obviously you've got the likes of the PPL now, being at the all-star game in November. Um, so yeah, I think it's done nothing but good things. And could I see myself basing there, myself basing myself there? Um, probably not anytime soon. Um, I think there's a lot still happening in Europe, a lot happening around the world. And in order for me to travel um, as efficiently as I can, I think Europe is the best place to be at the moment. What What is the all-star game? I saw they just posted about it, I think just yesterday. Do you know when it's going to be, who's going to be there, how it's going to work? No idea how it's going to work. Um, I actually got asked to go um, to, to represent the Vegas team, but um, fortunately and unfortunately, I am playing a FIP. Um, so that came priority over, over being out there. But in terms of what I know about it, it's very, very minimal. All I know is an all-star game. PPL are going to be there. The teams are going to be there and different representatives from each team, I think. Sure. And and have you talked to your team about signing for next year? You, are you planning to come back? Hopefully. It's in the plans. It's in the plans. Um, if I were to come back, then, of course, I've got to stick with Vegas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's, I think be... there's also like a lot of changes with the rules for 2024. Um more internationals. Yeah, I don't know what else you know about the the changes, but yeah, so it's more internationals, and then it's not going to be over the five week period anymore. It's going to be weekends split over different months, and then um, there's almost going to be, I think, an east and west competition because um, they've got more teams now, more signings, so it's going to be bigger and better. So is there going to be? Some of the competition will take place at a at a venue in on the east coast, and then likewise on the west coast in two different segments. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. So you've got an east competition, uh, teams from the east, and then teams from the west who compete separately against each other, and then it's the top teams who eventually will come through and compete in the championship weekend. So you've got um, dates, or they're planning on holding it in. I think 
May, June and July. Um, and then the championship weekend is going to be October, November time. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about before about paddle being sort of like this fun social aspect. But um, there's also a lot of pressure that comes with paddle, golden points, or even when you're traveling to these FIP tournaments, you're kind of like going all this way, a lot of pressure um, with the first round. How do you deal with pressure and what suggestions do you have for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the famous quote from Billie Jean King has to be used in every sense around pressure, that pressure is a privilege. Um, And it's something that I do remind myself of the fact that I have put myself in this position and paddle is the sport that I want to play and pressure is going to come with it. So you have to see it as a privilege um, because not everyone gets to experience those emotions and and overcome them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, golden points can definitely be quite stressful (laughs) moments, but um, yeah, patience is, is the key in, in those situations. Um, and then, yeah, before matches, if I'm feeling a little bit nervous, I'll just take myself off, um, listen to some music. Um, I really envy my own my own time sometimes. Um, and that's a really big thing for me. Does, um, just a quick point on, on pressure. Do, do you get, do you feel pressure from like, you know, external, um, I guess the media is a perfect example. So, you know, that you, you've, been in a you know as a piece in sheer lux publication i think it was you know the top um up and coming women in sport to to watch out for that sounds like a great you know collection of people to be a part of does that also bring a pressure where you think actually now there's <laughs> there's there's eyes on me and I, i've got to fulfill this sort of label i'm being you know being given is that does that come into mind at all uh no i never actually bring that into mind um obviously it's a huge privilege to be able to be featured alongside these incredible sports people um and in all of these media outlets and stuff but when I'm on the court like it's me in control of me the external pressures don't really come into play um because at the end of the day I'm the one who's playing um so what other people can say about me is not gonna have an um another effect yeah well switching topics a little bit um like you mentioned earlier your partner is so important just for the team chemistry and I wanted to ask you how you find your partner. Do you have a steady partner? Um, what does a breakup conversation look like? Uh, we want to know all the drama. And I also think, you know, people who are starting to play professionally, what suggestions you have? Because sometimes you might have to link up with somebody that's maybe not even in your city. Or So give us a little um, of your take on partnership. Yeah, I've definitely had my my fair share of playing with various people. Um, and I almost find that like trying to find a partner is literally just sliding into someone's DMs. We'll just put it at that. <laughs> it literally is that, um, to be as blunt as it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the way that I've gone around it is almost looking through like fit rankings, world rankings and finding someone who's maybe on a similar point level to me or has maybe got more points depending on like what tournament you want to get into. Um, But yeah, at the moment I have got a pretty, pretty solid partnership. I'm playing with Rosalie van der Hoek. Um, She's a Dutch, Dutch player. She's on the Dutch national team. Um, A former tennis player who's recently stopped tennis, not fully, but wants to try and commit to paddle a little bit more. Um, 
so yeah, she was the one who actually came into my Instagram um, DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I did not reach out to her, but I remember it taking me like maybe three or four weeks to actually respond to because <laughs> she'd messaged me, but I had no idea. I Obviously, I'd seen her and knew of her, uh, heard of her anyway, but I had no idea how she played or anything. So I was asking around different people, like finding out how she played, um, whether it was going to work. And then um, she was actually playing in Wimbledon this year. And it happened to be that I was in London at the same time. So I was like, okay, let's let's try maybe playing a couple of tournaments. It coincides quite nicely that you're you're playing Wimbledon. You can come and play some paddle beforehand. Um, so yeah, she was actually playing paddle with me. That was the first time we played just before she started Wimbledon this year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So have you guys like committed to each other or it's more of like... In a relationship open, now, fully. Fully committed. <laughs> yeah, that's kind no of nice to relationship to... going on. <laughs> it's nice to like create like a project together and sort of both be committed and seeing sort of like the evolution of your progress. A lot of yeah, times basically. I feel like they don't last that long um, partner. No, I feel like you have to commit to a partner in order to see like the progress. People expect to, for you to click within one or two tournaments but I mean in any situation if you don't know someone and you're going from not knowing them to be playing with them a lot it's going to take time to to grow with them evolve with them learn their game etc um so yeah I mean next week I'm I'm playing my first tournament back um and we're actually not playing together because um due to different circumstances we we decided to play different tournaments um so next week I'm actually playing with um a British girl Amy Gibson um in a FIP uh, near Valencia um, nice but yeah partnerships can be well we'll put them as a relationship yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> for the good and the bad for the good um, and the bad <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to ask you for your pre-match rituals any superstitions how do you like to get ready before you play people always ask me this and it's always a really sad story the fact that I actually don't have any rituals or anything (laughs) um I mean the thing I do before every match is I listen to music um warm up with my headphones on I message my family before my match say I'm about to go on um receive a good luck um I think I always put my left shoe on first actually now that I do think about it a little bit but I mean that's not that's not superstitious. That sounds almost like Rafa Nadal-esque, isn't it? <laughs> but it's not superstitious. It's just <laughs> yeah. something that I do subconsciously. Um, and then in terms of Rafa Nadal-wise, I do like to have my drinks like evenly spaced out when I when I go down to sit down and stuff. Uh-huh. What are they? What are those drinks out of interest? Are they all water or is it something more interesting? Water. Sometimes if I'm lacking a little bit of energy, Red Bull does venture into there. Um, electrolytes normally as well. Um, or any isotonic drink, really. So those are some of the kind of rituals directly before a match or around a match. What about outside of a competition completely? What do you? What does what does time look like for you when it's time off? Are you are you binging on the the Beckham Netflix documentary? Are you <laughs> already watched <laughs> it? Already finished already, it? I <laughs> know oh you and me, you and me both. <laughs> uh, it's very good, wasn't it? Um, it yeah. What's what's, what, what's time off for you? uh time off I love doing nothing sometimes 
absolutely nothing. Um, obviously, I lead quite a, a busy lifestyle in terms of all the traveling here, there and everywhere. Um, so, yeah, doing nothing is sometimes appreciated quite a lot. Um, and when I do come home, I am in the zone where I'm like, no one talk to me, no one distract me, just leave me <laughs> to my own little cloud. Um, but when I'm at tournaments, uh, I normally try and keep a little bit active. So maybe going out on walks or if they've got uh, maybe another sport at the at the venue of the tournament. So like pool or table tennis or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, bonding with my partners or my, my um, yeah, my relationship partner as well. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on today for the rest of the season and 2024 what are your um what's the schedule look like and then what are your ambitions heading into next year so rest of the season I will hopefully be injury free that is the plan um having just gone four weeks not playing paddle really um so yeah that's number one on the list and then Number two, I've got um, a few more FIPS coming up, obviously the one next week, and then um, hopefully traveling off to Mexico for a couple of tournaments. They've got the FIP Platinum there, and then aiming to be able to play the the Premier Paddle, because I've tried to enter quite a few this year, but haven't managed to, to get into any yet. Um, so that would be a huge goal ticked off this year. Um, and in terms of 2024 goals, honestly, I haven't really thought about them yet <laughs> yeah cross um, that bridge when you cross get closer that bridge once I've once I finished this year but as you know breaking into the top 100 has been something that I've I've wanted for a while so I'm still going to be reaching towards that and and yeah hopefully still growing with my with my partner to the end of the year as well amazing well best of luck with it um Tia, it's been great to speak before we finish off we've got um six five quick fire questions i should say i know you've seen these we didn't want to ambush you with uh, such <laughs> tricky questions at the end um i've seen them but i still haven't decided on the uh, answers okay well there you go uh, make it up as you go um okay yeah. so our first question is this is a classic right people it's um you know it's everywhere this one but dinner party guests so if you could choose three famous guests past or present to be at your dinner party who would you have alongside you and why I mean after watching the the David Beckham documentary I definitely want David Beckham 100% okay I feel like I need to know so much more <laughs> so much more um and then my favorite tennis player growing up as a child was Maria Sharapova so I'd probably choose her as well um yeah big Love fan her. big, big fan, fan. <laughs> um third and final I feel like I need to venture out the sports scene. Um, yeah, we'll go. We'll go with Brit. I feel like we've we'll, we'll <laughs> list of questions. We'll really we'll really delve in deep in, into their lives. Um, so yeah, we'll go with Brit. There you go. Oh, I'm feeling extreme. Okay. Uh, one. <laughs> what about one one food you can't live without? You said you like your food, but uh, what what couldn't you live without? Sushi, sushi, or. Just just sushi or, or any chocolate? No, just sushi. Or a roast dinner. A classic <laughs> British roast dinner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Every every week, right? <laughs> every Sunday. If I'm home. If I'm home. When I'm not home, it's difficult. It's very difficult. It's a tradition, huh? Yeah. I'm guessing it's a bit like Thanksgiving, Brit in the US, a Thanksgiving meal, but, but yeah. every every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a life. I've got to try one of them. You need meal. to try one. It's life changing. 
It's life changing. <laughs> wow. Roast dinner at Tia's house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not cooking. I'm not cooking. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about your favorite movie of all time? Oh. <laughs> First thing that springs to mind is Mamma Mia. Because I always used to watch it um, at my grandma's house, like all the time. We always used to sit down and watch it together, no matter how many times we'd watch it. Um, so yeah, and Mamma Mia too. I'm a big fan of as well. I was going to say the first or the second. <laughs> first Both. one, first one, one hundred percent. Cool. Right, number four. Um, Britt, do you want to shoot with this one? Sure. What is your go-to karaoke or pre-match song? Mm, karaoke song is. I mean, if this comes on when I'm out, I'm I'm done for the evening. Gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. Shock, <laughs> Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. <laughs> There's a theme here. <laughs> There's a theme. Um, and pre-match song. I mean, that's changing all the time. It depends um, what I'm loving in the moment. I go through phases of having different songs on repeat. Um, so at the moment, I would say... Under Control by Calvin Harris. Nice. Love a bit of Calvin Harris. Yeah, I'm with you. And we'll just wrap it up with, if you could have any superpower, what would you want? I have two answers for this because I'm not actually capable of choosing or deciding between them. So it'd either be teleportation so that I could just travel anywhere and anywhere and everywhere when I needed to. Or the ability to speak every single language. Love it. Teleportation would solve all your visa problems. <laughs> it would. It really would. <laughs> Brexit out the window. <laughs> it's the way around Brexit. There we go. <laughs> um, cool. That's brilliant, Tia. Thank you so much for giving us an insight there. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you on. And um, I'm sure we'll have you back to delve deeper into Brexit or maybe not Brexit, but other things. <laughs> Anything <laughs> other than politics. <laughs> yeah exactly um thank you so much yeah real pleasure having you on good luck for the rest of the season and we will look forward to speaking to you soon amazing thank Thank you you so much for having me you're my favorite brit sorry ben i'll take that any day So we really want to make this podcast interactive. So please do get in touch with us and send us a a 30 second voice note to thepaddlemovement at gmail.com and tell us who you are uh, and what you want to talk about. And we'll answer any question we can uh, on the show. All being well, next up, we will have Alan Flatt, who is the CEO of EEP Capital, which is America's first venture capital company for the sport of paddle, a real sign that the sport is being taken very seriously from a business point of view in North America. Do check out our other shows, of course, the Motormouth F1 podcast and the OMG MotoGP podcast, which are part of the Motormouth media network. And final thing, don't forget, we've got our socials up and running so you can find and interact with us on all things about the paddle industry at Paddle Movement on Twitter or X as it's now known and Paddle Movement Pod on Instagram and TikTok. For now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Brit too.